the magician's code. Welcome back to the Magician's Code, everybody. My name is Hadlin, and on this episode, we have Ryan Kane, author of Out of Stock. And I have to say that that title is amazing, and I can't wait to hear more about your book. So without further ado, let's jump into the mind of Ryan Kane. How's it going, man? Great, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Very excited no, to be here. It's, uh, it's definitely a pleasure of mine. I, I started checking out your work, and very, very impressive. So thank you. Where are you from exactly? Uh, I live, um, I grew up in Sacramento, California, um, and I've lived in the San Francisco Bay area since 2007. Currently I'm in uh, Sausalito, which is just, uh, four exits north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, wow. So, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm right in the heart amazing. of everything. That's yeah. awesome, dude. So let's maybe, uh, cause I know we're going to d- jump into the book and I, mm-hmm. I really want to hear about that because I feel like there's a lot of good information that you, you can share with other magicians, but let, let's go back a little bit further. Um, let's go with your origin story. Sure. Let's go, yeah. Let's go through that. Um, I got my first magic set at age six, um, got, um, you know, which was, it came in a tin can. That's all I can remember. Uh, that type of thing. I really got into sleight of hand and magic, um, with, um, Mark Wilson's book at age 10. And then by, um, age 14, I had discovered Gazo and street performers and things like that. And so I actually started busking in old town Sacramento. So that's where I got my first like thousand shows in learned how to do magic and and do stuff. But also coming from that background, like I was using a lot of stock material and stuff that just wasn't mine. Um, And so then by the time I got, um, I moved to San Francisco for the, for college and uh, I was working um, here do, doing, you know, corporate stuff, local things like that. And I started to really want to move beyond, uh, just using stock material and having, and really creating an act that I could actually feel proud of. Right. Um, so, uh, I've managed to change a lot of that there. And currently I work, um, you know, I'm very underground. I work local a lot because the Bay area has so much stuff. Um, but recently, like I've been doing more trade shows. I've been traveling all over the, um, you know, all over the country and to Europe. That's amazing. Um, a lot man. of corporate work here. I have a resident show in the city as well. Um, and and yeah. you also are without, yeah, without taking anything away. You're you're a magic champion out in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, I won a um, yeah I won a magic competition uh, a while ago. Yeah, um, yeah. It was funny that like, that was the um, the last year that competition was held. I, I forget why. So it's like I'm still the champion, even though it's been oh, years. Like no, I reigning champion. Reigning champion. <laughs> It's like Michael Jordan. He wasn't able to compete again. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Nice, man. So, so yeah, you've done a lot. You have a ton of experience in the magic world. And now you've, why did you write a book? When we're recording this, I started, I started writing the book, um, like the day that shelter in place went in here. Cause I, I was like, okay, we're going to be home. Let's have a new project. Um, and I'd had essays written, pieces of this kind of thing kind of floating around in various shapes. And this was just about finally putting it all together and being like, okay, cool. What is, what is something that I um, feel passionately about something that I feel qualified to talk about? Again, I've done this. Like I went through my act and replaced a bunch of stock lines and, and really taught myself how to write, which is what the, the book details out. Um, and, and that doesn't really exist. Like in magic, it's always like, don't do stock material. 
but then no one really tells you how, especially once you get into working. Like the book is designed for a professional or like an accomplished magic enthusiast. I like McBride's term for amateur enthusiast. You know, someone who's really been doing this for a long time. It's like, how do you then stop doing stock material? How do you rewrite your show? And this is designed to be, you know, like I'm not saying to stop performing. It's just like you can do this while you're still doing your shows, while you're still performing uh, and just slowly but surely weed out all of the stock and stolen stuff, any jokes that you didn't write that you're saying, this will, the book will help you um, uh, identify, interpret why those lines got added to your show um, and then, and then eventually replace them. Real cool. So this whole shelter in place, the lockdown COVID basically Mm -hmm. kickstarted you to finish the book. Yeah, that, definitely. Um, it was just wow. a, a project. I was, a, I was very wow. optimistic about COVID um, when it first came in. I was like, oh, we'll be locked down for a month or so. Um, so I was like, yeah, perfect little project. Um, and it actually grew initially. It was just going to be thrown up online. But uh, I eventually was just like, you know what? This is, I wanted to, it to be a lot more polished and really feel like a cohesive thing and not just like, oh, here's a PDF this guy wrote. Um, yep. And so, you know, I got a proofreader. Eric Dillman wow. was fantastic, um, gave a lot of input and really posh it up. And it's been getting some really great feedback from people. Uh, Con Cloud says some nice things. Ken Weber said some nice things. So I'm really happy with the response that the book has been getting. Man, that's amazing. Congrats on that because being an author in a field that is one of, one of the most impressive things you can do. Thanks. Yeah. And, and um, you've accomplished that. So yeah, man, my, my parents are very proud of that. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah. I think a part of it was just identifying a book that was that had a that had a very specific thing right like if it was just oh here's a collection of essays by ryan kane nobody cares right um but because it's like oh here's a problem and it's all hyper focused on one specific issue i think that's why people are really it's getting such good traction right now and what a clever name too like, I didn't come up with the name. My, uh, my good friend, David Gerard came up with it. I had like a list of like 70 different names. The closest I got to out of stock was fresh stock. Um, and okay. stock therapy was another idea. Um, okay. but it went through about half a dozen names. And then finally, uh, David was like out of stock. I was like, that's it. Um, so Just clicked. That's, you get Just to, yeah, clicked. yeah, very, very helpful. Awesome, man. Well, Okay. I have some questions about this book because there, mm-hmm. there's a lot. And I, I also know that people need to read the book to really fully understand the information. So maybe you can help us out. Where, what would be something that you teach in this book that you could share with us today? Oh, to I'll like run through like the whole base process because okay. I think there's still a lot of value in the book once you get in. But I mean, the more people that can do this. So the, the book is divided into three sections. The section, the first section is just focused on getting stock and stolen material out of your show. Um, and it teaches the, the way to identify these things, how to interpret them, and then eventually how to replace them. The second part moves on to um, applying the same kind of methods to how do you respond to the unexpected things that are going to happen on stage. Um, so for example, responding to hecklers or like if an airplane flies up overhead or someone gets up to leave or whatever. Right. And then the final part is about like the, um, creating material from scratch of like, how do you take a new trick? What do you take from the pattern specifically? Like what type of lines, how do you reinterpret the new things? I talk about like the four custom jokes I write for every gig that I do. I talk about all sorts of like specific types of prompts that I, that I work on, but, uh, it's all based on the first part, 
which is essentially five steps to um, replacing stock lines. And step one is identifying them. And the, the, the way to do this is you need to grab a, um, a, a recording of a live performance, can have video, doesn't have to be, can just be audio. Um, and you're gonna listen to it and write down every stock line that you see. Uh, you hit pause every time you hit stock line, you write down two things. You write down the stock line or stolen line. I'm gonna use those rather interchangeably, but any okay. joke which you know you did not write. Um, you're gonna write down that, the line and you're also gonna write down exactly what happened right before you said the stock line and be as specific as possible, right? Like if it, if it comes, if you're saying a line like, um, oh, thank you, one full applaud after, um, after a specific phase of your linking ring routine, write down the exact phase so that you know like, okay, maybe I actually need to fix that phase later on. And then right. also like, okay, and sometimes it's gonna be very general, like pick a card, you know, uh, except for that one is what happened before you ask them to pick a card, right? Usually it's very basic, but sometimes you wanna get more specific. Um, so you do that, you write down every single one and be as liberal as you can with this. Like if you're on the fence about a, a line being stolen or stock, write it down. Um, and you're not, and don't kid yourself and be like, oh, you know what? I don't normally say that or I only say that, said that line because of nervous. Like if you said it on the tape, you write the thing down. Um, the, more, the more honest you can be right now with yourself, the better it'll be later on. Right, so that's you don't want to cheat yourself. You yeah, you know, because that's how you end up in this stuff. And we can back up a little bit and talk about like why are stock lines so prevalent, right? Like why do we all do them? And I think it's because they're functional. They deal with situations, props, characters that magicians deal with all the time. So we know when we hear them, right? Because they're all, they're everywhere. They're in our FISM competitions. They're in, you know, David Copperfield uses them. And so they're just around. They're in the pattern when we buy tricks. And so they just get integrated and we all know them. Every, we all know them. Yeah, it's like right. we can do, they're, they're there. So what happens is either on stage live or in rehearsal when you're creating the routine, you reach a, a dead moment where you don't have something new to say. You don't have a, a line for that. And, uh, and then the stock line gets put in, um, because right, you, it's you something to fall back on and it was just, it was in your mind mm -hmm. from when you maybe learned yeah. it or something and you just pulled from it. Yeah. And, and again, because they, and they always go into similar spots because they deal with similar things, right? Like all magicians are having people pick cards or shuffle cards or directing audience members on stage or having to deal with jokes that fail or like introducing a Sharpie, you know, or making people, are you happy with the mind or the mind you have, you know, like those are common things that can just be co-opted and moved around. They're never tied to like specific characters or points of view. So it, anyone can kind of use them. And so that's why they're everywhere. Um, and, and so the next step now is to identify what the context of the line is. What is the line that you stole in your show? Um, what is it accomplishing? What is it? Why did you add this? What is it about? And I don't mean about like in a, in like if I, so for example, if we use the stock line, you know, if you like the show, I've been Ryan Kane. If you didn't like the show, I'm David Copperfield, right? <laughs> that, that, that stock line is not about David Copperfield. That stock line has a, con a very clear context of I want to end the show on a laugh, right? I want a good laugh and last line. And I want to re say my name, which is a smart thing, right? Those are good ideas to have that every magician's doing. And that's why that line is so prevalent, whether or not it's Copperfield or whatnot, um, you know, Penn and Teller or somebody else that's on the lineup, you know, like it's so easy. And magicians kid themselves like, oh, well, I changed the punchline. So it's an original line. It's like, no, it's not. Or I changed the set. I'm using the same punchline for a different setup. It's the same thing. Like move on from that. So, 
So what you do is you take your list of all the stock stolen lines and you figure out the context of each line. You, you really look at it and try to ask yourselves, why did I add this line? What is this line doing? What is it buying, right? And very, very often it is, if you do this, it's just because this is a boring action and this line makes it fun, right? So write your name down on the, on the playing card and also write your social security number. Writing a name down is a boring action. There's a dead time there. So we add the laugh to make it more interesting right? There, I mean, these are good things. This is what we should be doing. But the problem is we just steal the same lines instead of looking at that moment saying, let's do something. Let's cover it up with something original, which is what we're eventually get to. Um, so you're going to do that, write down all the contexts. That's step two. Step three is now looking at those contexts and kind of dividing all of your stock lines between two lines, two types of lines. The first are the base stock line, the base script lines. So these are the lines that you say every single show. So for example, stand right here over the trap door a base script line. You're always telling someone to stand. Right. You say that every show. The David Copperfield line, I'm saying that every show, right? Like that's how I'm ending my show. Um, and that's opposed to, or uh, that's, that's different from like a reactionary line where, well, I only said this line because the heckler spoke up right now, or I only said this line because the trick failed, or you know, I only said this line because, um, you know, my mic cut out or something like that. Um, and, and the only reason to kind of do this early on is in part one, we really focus mostly on the base script lines because those are the ones you say every day. We'll deal with the reactionary lines kind of later. So I have you kind of separate, be like, okay, we're going to focus just on base script because you, that's the first thing you want to get rid of, like you want to disinfect is your base script. Right. Um, and so that's that. And then we move on to the fourth one, which is, now you time to write a new line, right? Like you know what the joke is about. You know what each of these these situations that you just went through and identified. These are the problem areas of my show. This is why I put the stock line in. So now you write ten jokes, and that's that's my method. Is you okay. you sit down, you write ten joke ideas for each of those contexts, and I, I, I'm a I, I'm a big believer in like creativity is just relative, right? Like of those ten jokes when you compare them against each other, one of those jokes will be the funniest. It'll be the funniest compared to those 10. It, it, always, always, so, right? Let's just talk about the joke writing for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you come up with even one joke? You do it through throwing things on paper. Like if you've been, if you've been stealing people's lines your entire career, you have a sense of what's funny. Like you're probably not like you, you've never sat down to write a joke, but you've probably said some things on stage that are funny. Like you have funny thoughts in your head. So if you sit down and you write them all down at 10, 10, 10 ideas down or 11 or whatever, 10, just a, a good number that usually works. Most of these ideas will not be that good, right? Like the, and if you want to get more into the structure of joke writing, there are fantastic books that are out there and I point you towards some, but literally this is the process that I work that I use and it does work. In you know, is it is it going to get the most finely crafted things? No, but you'll polish those up over time, and that's the idea. Right, is right. you look at it, oh my god, that's that's funny, and, and then uh, you can interchange that in the next show to, to test another one. That's where we get to, yeah. Right. And so once you once you figure that out, you you write your ten jokes down, and uh, I mean, you know, you can you then can move forward with with polishing up that, that avenue. So, Interesting. Um, and I've done this exercise with a lot of stock jokes. I've been writing like rewriting like juggler lines oh, yeah. uh, because the lines that I don't use and stuff, um, you yeah. know, just to like figure out, okay, what are some other options, right? Like there's, there was a line for, um, or a, a street performer line that sometimes happens if someone walks by wearing a backpack, um, you go, Oh, you can take the parachute officer. You've landed just, there's just, <laughs> 
the line you say to somebody walking by with a backpack, right? So the context of that is somebody wearing a backpack sets me up for an extra joke. That's the context. So I wrote like 10 different versions of them of jokes with that context. And, you know, and I kept going through and I think the, I posted a bunch. I think the one that I ended up really kind of liking is, uh, is, is, are you, oh, look, look at this man. He's cosplaying like he's cosplaying as someone who graduated college or something like that. I have all these jokes written down here somewhere, but like you can go through and, 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 and and you, the problem is you have to have them there, right? If you've been stealing jokes, you can recognize what's funny and you just got to get yourself to the point where you're staring at 10 original ideas of your own and then looking at it ahead of time, not in the moment. And then it comes back to what you just said. You go on stage, the next time you normally would have said the stock line, you'll say then this you line pull instead. from those ones. Yep. Right. And then you replace it slowly and surely. And, and so you do that with the base script, the lines that you say all the time. And then you move on to the reactionary lines where I also start saying, okay, do you always want to joke um, with, with reactionary things, right? Like if someone makes a mistake, do you really want to make fun of them? If someone's heckling you, is, is making a, a, a heckler put down joke really the best option? Really analyze as those things, but that gets on later. But the base process is just that. And then the, yeah. the fifth step in that is, is, is really kind of doing a feedback loop, recording your shows, rewriting the joke a little bit until you're happy with it. And wow. then you move on. What so a great it's a, systematic way of, you know, breaking that process down. I love that. It's very basic, but it's, but it's really easy. And I've had a lot of, I test drove the book with um, some of my local friends here to just make sure it does this work. And can, can, can anyone kind of sit down and write things? And it really does like people, magicians that are, you know, I don't think they would describe themselves as like particularly funny. I'm not that funny. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm really bad at thinking of things on my, uh, off the top of my head. But if I sit and I prepare, then I can come up with ideas. And on stage, I appear to be hilarious but that's mostly just cause like I've got a whole bank of ideas that I've, that I've tried in other situations. So I'm essentially doing the same stuff I was doing at 14, mm-hmm. um, of like having just bunches of lines that I can throw out, but they're all mine now. And that's, that's, and I'm happy with that. That makes me, and it makes you feel good too. Cause now it's your original work yeah. being put out to the world. So I have a question for you here. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I'm also a hypnotist and I, I purposely don't use this line because it's a stock line and lots of, yeah. lots of hypnotists use it. So it goes like this. It's okay. Everybody take your hand and put your index and thumb together and make a circle. Now take that circle, follow with me and place it on your chin. Right. Yeah. But then you place it on your cheek. Yeah. And then everyone, and like, everyone does this and you're like, no, yeah. that's the chin. Yeah. yeah. No, that's the chin. And it's a dumb joke, but I see it all the time. Mm-hmm. So how, how would we rework that? So I love this. This is what I, this is what I want to, this is what I like doing. So the first thing is let's look at the context of this joke. So like, why do you do this joke in your hypnotism show? Um, and what happens? So we back so, up what happens yeah. right before you do that joke normally. So generally like I don't do it, but you don't generally do it, okay. what hypnotists will do when they're displaying that is to show suggestion in a mm-hmm. visual suggestion rather than before they're even hypnotized, just to like a demonstration, so to speak of hypnosis yep. before yeah. you do anything. 100% on, I think that's correct is like, especially for hypnosis, you kind of have to like, uh, demonstrate kind of what you're talking about in abstract yes, sense. So they and I actually think, believe it. <laughs> yeah. And, be, and also be able to do something fun and interesting before you've inducted them. Mm-hmm. Right. Because when you first walk out, okay, who, you know, who is this guy or, or person? Um, 
and, and how are you, you know, are they any good? And this is a good thing. That's like, well, wow, I fell for that. This guy's good. You know? So I would say that that's the context, excuse me, Okay. that that would be the context of, I want a way to demonstrate, um, power suggestion and also as a subpar, like demonstrate that I'm good and worth your time. Uh, sometimes contexts kind of have two, two, two aspects to them. Kind of like the, the right. David Copperfield one of, if it repeating your name. So, um, and I, we would look, consider this to be base script cause you're doing this every show. It's not reacting to, to something that anybody else, um, does. So writing on that context, there's a lot of different things you can do. And so immediately, like if I'm rewriting a joke, I try to get away from, Oh, look, I, you know, cause you could do this with like whole, you know, make your hand like this. Okay, cool. Put it on your forehead, you know, and do your yeah. ear. And, but it's kind of the same joke. Right. So right up back. And now I have to transition from, you know, just talking and reiterating stuff to, to the idea of, of being more creative. Right. Um, there are other ideas in books that do this type of thing too. Right. I know there's like this type of thing, but right. if we want to create something, magnetic com- fingers and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. If we want to do something completely different. Um, and I do not do hypnosis, but you would just continue to kind of, um, sit down at a paper and just write down idea. Cause the first one idea I would write down is to do something with like your hands doing this or like, your arms out type type thing where you can do another induction thing and try to create your own one. That's right. probably the first thing I'd write down is like, again, not do the exact one of like the balloon arm thing, but, but, and, but just brainstorm a bunch of ideas that do that. Right. Um, is what I would do. Just be like, what, what is nobody using right now? Like, okay, I can't think of any off the top of my head that use people, someone's feet. Right. So it's like, okay, can I have someone like, can I, can I do a version of that? Some sort of thing that uses their feet because I've never seen someone do that right or um, the next idea that pops on my mind is like okay if I have someone say hey grab something out of your pocket right now and hold it up how many people would is there a very common object that seems impressive that mm. you could do right so it's like grab a, interesting you, yeah. you know if you're holding your phone do this right okay if you're holding your keys you know like and maybe that connects I don't know you'll have to test that in front of the eye the, the, uh, the audience but you know what it goes on the page right? And it doesn't matter yet. It might be good. It might be not. Cause at the end of our list of 10, we'll be able to look back and say, you know what, that phone one, that actually is the best one I think. And so I'm going to push on that. Right. right. And then you and can so, like start to mix ideas and mm-hmm. yeah, oh, oh my like God. This, yeah. Man. I have, um, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of times I'll do, uh, I have a joke for my live shows where, um, where I talk about, uh, I, I talk about like, Oh, thanks for coming out and like not going to net, you know, Netflix or something. I don't know how far down into the Netflix queue you go before you decide I'm going to see a magic show. And then I list like, um, I, what's the one I, I normally do is like, uh, you know, I, I imagine it somewhere around like British nature documentary, angsty British nature documentaries, um, based on books or something. And I, <laughs> and, and that, that punchline came from another joke, which I had written earlier of, uh, um, I was trying to be like, oh yeah, it's hard picking a magic show because we don't have like subtitles like uh, like like Netflix categories do. And I just brainstormed a bunch of different silly ones like uh, romantic comedies not starring Whoopi Goldberg and uh, yeah, a bunch of other like random ones. So like, yeah. but that idea wasn't good. But I took it later. So mm. absolutely draw. Mm. I like working on paper because you can draw ink, you can draw and, and box things and stuff more than on, right. Right. On everything else. And so you, you, you prefer paper over like documenting it in like a cell phone or something in the notes app. I, I, so in the book I talk about like ultimately whatever gets you to write is the process you should use. I'm not championing uh, any particular one. Uh, yes. I think you do want to make sure that you can, um, 
record you you want you want to be able to record ideas anywhere you can right so i don't carry my notebook everywhere so i will put things on my my phone or i'll talk in my apple watch to jot ideas and then i sit down but mm. generally when i'm sitting down to like really craft jokes i will do it on on paper and then and then i'll and then i'll usually put into word processor and start organizing things up actually since uh since we've been sheltering in place i've been doing way more on the computer mm, okay. um, than i than i used to I like it. Okay. So you've had, I'm guessing training as a writer before all this too. No, or you just kind of taught yourself. I'm very autodidactic. I've taught myself. Um, I taught myself, you know, web design and and magic and, and right. I mean, I'm really good about just reading things and and learning stuff. And and a lot of it just comes from practice. And, And you know, the more you do, the more you write, um, who really I learned this process from is uh, a guy named Scott Meltzer, who's a juggler um, in the Bay Area. And he wrote a bunch of fantastic columns uh, for initially for the International Juggling Association, but they're available for free. You can go to his website, uh, comedyindustries.com slash columns to read them. And they're fantastic. And it's essentially his method. I've honed it in a lot more on just talking about stock material and talked a lot more about like the context stuff. He goes into way more specifics of like writing a specific joke. Like what is the, what, you know, what is the premise? What is the, uh, the assumption that you're then shattering, you know, like that stuff's out there. A lot of it's for free and you can, Greg Dean's book, step-by-step to stand-up comedy is great. Judy Carter's book, comedy Bible are good. If you want to get into the real anatomy of joke writing, I didn't feel really qualified. Like I didn't feel like I was adding that much more to that topic. So the, the book doesn't really like, doesn't really focus much on like, how do you write a specific joke? It's really based on the idea that if you've been working long enough, you can recognize what's funny. Here's a system to present yourself with funny options. And then you can go with that, which is, which is, which is really good for this process. It's a great starting, starting place for like pretty much everybody. It's It's served me really well. And I use it not just for jokes. Like when it came down to writing what, you know, I want to write a book. I did this same process and I wrote down, here's a 10 different, um, you know, ideas that I have for things I'd like to talk about. And this is the one that stood out and that's the one I wrote. I do it for, um, for, uh, whenever I'm trying to think up like an overarching theme for a show or new material or anything, it's just write them down. And and what stands out you, the more I've written and creative and created in my life, the more comfortable I've gotten with the wastebasket being my friend and just the first draft, your first idea is usually not the best one. Keep digging. So I just sent an email that I was like, this isn't quite ready yet. I just let it sit and it came back and like, ah, I got the thing and, and, and redid it. Right. Um, you know, being able to walk away and, and, and present different ideas for things. Right. So how important is it to, to take a break when you're creating something like a, br- like a book? <laughs> Um, a book. Well, I mean, I've only written one, so, um, I'm not an expert on that. This, the thing I, I thought this was way closer to being ready. Um, and then I initially sent it to Eric Dittleman to proofread and he came back with a lot of great stuff. And my dad was really proud of me because he's attempted a lot of books in the past and was always like, I'm never like, I'm just amazed you got it done. And the thing was, I just made a choice of like, it has to be done at a certain point. So when I, when I sent out the final proofs to Eric, I was like, this is the book I'm going to do minor tweaks, maybe add a paragraph here, but I'm not going to do any massive changes. And there are things that now that I'm like, you know what, I, I could have kept writing and adding, you know, even more stuff into the book, but it was like, now nah, this is good. This is fine. We're going to focus on this. And I cut it out. When I sent it to him, it was like 25 
thousand words and then it came back 23,000 words. I think half of those were commas, um, <laughs> that, that, that we took out. Um, and, and I think sticking to that gun of like, um, having someone else look at it is huge, yeah. the creative process. Um, and, and then just deciding this is, this is it. Um, you know, we'll, I can, I can do on podcasts or lectures or what to elaborate right. on any of the, the things that, that aren't there, but the book's really complete. It's been getting great feedback too. So that's amazing, man. I can't wait to read it. Um, yeah. I'm just a little sad. I didn't read it yet before starting this podcast. I feel like that's maybe something I should have done. It's fine. It's just, it just got out. In fact, it, uh, I actually haven't even gotten my copy yet. Oh, uh, oh wow. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, um, it should be arriving. I've been checking, uh, Am- I've never looked at my Amazon echo so often to see if it has that green ring at the top as, as today. <laughs> Oh man, that's so cool. I know that one day I'll write a book. So speaking with other, other magicians, other authors, it's just inspiring to me. So yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I think pick a topic and get a good proofreader. Like, um, I learned, it was like going back to school. I was like, Oh yeah, this is so right. Like, Oh my, you know, cause I've been writing for a long time, but I write very complexly. So he was a, he did a great job of like, moving this out. I think you're trying to say this. And, and for the most part, it was like, I'm paying you. I just changed things. I fought him on very few things. And even then I, I ended up changing them. Um, <laughs> there's a line in the book where it's like, uh, it was, um, something like, uh, it's better, you know, I encourage you to write lines, uh, for all of this situation to come up with. It's better than when you reach that point, only having stock lines in your show or worse, having nothing siloed at all. And he, and I love that word siloed in there. And he's like, get rid of it. It doesn't add anything. I was like, and I got rid of it. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's it's correct. Like get rid of stuff. Interesting. So how did you find this guy? Eric Dittleman is a fantastic mentalist. Um, He proofreads my, one of my good friends, David Gerard's notes. So when I, he was my, David Gerard was the first person to look at this. And, uh, and he, he did a great first pass of stuff and then was like, Eric does all my, uh, my lecture notes and used to do that. And I hooked up with him and, and, and connected there. It was really smart to, I think, to have a magician as opposed to an outside person because he really understood what I was talking about. And like, I mean, we went through and talked about, um, like what is the correct notation for, for, um, for tricks? Should they be, should trick titles be italicized? Should they be in quotes? Should they be capitalized? And so he would like go and like research that and come back. Cause like, yeah, they're, they're capitalized. That's what seems to be the thing. Okay, cool. We're going to do that. You know, okay. um, that you're, cool. I, I would have never gotten that if I just hired like another editor that didn't know anything about magic. So, right. oh man, that's so cool. Well, <laughs> A huge congrats on thank you on thank that, you so much that's a, a very very large milestone and uh, i'm going to be ordering that book after we're done here and yeah get my copy because there's definitely there's definitely some stock lines in my shows <laughs> i'm gonna need to switch out no, it's it's <laughs> we all have them right like it's not it's the problem is like nobody pressures you to get rid of them right your your clients don't ask them to you magicians don't it's yeah, and they work and you get laughs out of it so then that's like further further just you know confirms that you should use them even though you shouldn't mm-hmm. right? yeah and it's hard to walk away from them like i'm very upfront in the book of just like i understand like it is hard and i i don't i don't think i really shame anyone i, I i'm kind of like realistic about like look if you're starting off in magic it's fine to use stock lines, right? Like if you've only been doing magic for two, three, four years, even, um, 
and you're still getting on stage and still understanding what good comedy, what good magic looks and feels like, do invisible deck, do the standard, take them out of the box first line so you can get a sense. Like part of the reason I'm such a good performer is because I did Gazzo's act for years and I knew like that's the standard for a finale right that that's how that's how in control and funny a show could be so then when it became time to create my own stuff that was the i was like it's got to be that good you know it's got to be at that level um i've seen a lot of performers that jump into magic and start doing creative things way too early i think they get they don't quite learn the fundamentals and they get off stage oh man i killed i was like not really like <laughs> not really so i you know i think there's no problem. It's just that nobody transitions out of it, right? When you've been doing magic for 10 years, you're no longer a beginner. You should learn to write. You know, if you've performed at the same annual event three years in a row, it's better no, changed. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're, if you're, if you're booking your act involves a tax form, you should be writing your own lines. Like you're no longer a beginner. Like it's time to move on. And I've just laid out how to do it in the book and uh in the book is it has writing sections and then between each one there's kind of like a break where you're supposed to um look at your show and write stuff and that's where i put in different f uh different other um uh essays and stuff that are related to perform i have like a 10 commandments of close-up magic and uh some stuff about hecklers and like names like how do you tips on kind of like um pronouncing people's names or how you should treat names when you reach people um just other things because again another part of the book is stepping away from the generic of magic of don't be a generic magician don't do the obvious joke don't do the things everyone else does and a lot of that is you know you meet someone named luke and you joke about star wars because that's and it's like don't do that luke's heard that joke before most people have heard that joke before so don't say it you know don't say oh oh what's your name vicky oh vicky's my mother's name cool that adds nothing what, what are you doing like nobody right. cares about that right right um, right yeah switch it up do something be unique and Mm -hmm. i I feel like what you're going through in this book and what you've gone through so far in the podcast really should be intertwined in kind of like the workflow of an entertainer when they're every time they perform a show they go through all of that and just like integrate the entire thing into that process oh yeah as, as a whole like this i feel like should be almost like standardized. Oh, 100%. Like a feedback loop of um, performing a show, recording your show, looking at the show and rewriting the parts that have problems, then performing it again, then recording it again and so on. That feedback loop is paramount and your, your show's only going to be as good as your investment in that type of feedback loop. And I think it's really important to find a place where you can try new material in a safe way. I'm very fortunate to have um, performed on stage at Pier 39 in San Francisco for years. And I use it exclusively to just try new material these days. Like it is as soon as the show gets too tight, as soon as like a trick starts like, oh, this is good, I take it out and put something else back in. Um, because that that's just my crucible that allows me, I mean, I make, I make some money doing it, but mostly it's just there to try new stuff. And, and if a corporate client sees me there, it's like, great, this is nothing like what you, I just did there because this is all new stuff, right? Right, um, and, right. And so it's I always think that, fresh. And, yeah. It's always fresh. I get and, it. That I, and, and I'm fortunate because I've done that and I have that background. 
it's I know it's tougher for a lot of other performers, but you've got to find a place now too. Like <laughs> yeah, I, but actually I don't know. Like I I did a, a virtual open mic night uh the two, couple days ago, and it's like I think it's actually really easy to get out, out there. I think it's harder okay. to get. I think it's harder to get the good feedback loop though, because um, you can't just listen anymore. You have to um, you have to like film and then watch each person square to see when they laugh, right. um, and that's a lot harder. Uh, but I think that that I mean it's also never been harder or easier rather to record shows. You just hit record. Um, yeah, and, and Zoom just auto records it for you, and yeah. you're like done. <laughs> so um, yeah, and and this this the whole virtual world will be will be um, a new frontier. But I think the same rules apply of, you know, perform, feedback, and and do there. And then when we return to the normal life, then, you know, what can you do when your close-up sets, your walk-around that you could then do on stage, right? Because you, you may only get on stage two, three times a week, max maybe i don't know maybe for some people maybe you're only ever on stage like once a week that's not quite enough but if you're doing close-up gigs every close-up gig you're doing the same piece a dozen or more times so now that's more times to run through things you want to be able to iterate as often and frequently as possible um to be able to change things and see oh that's the best way to do that line that that punchline works better than the other punchline so how Um, did you get your peer is it, I forget the exact name of that area. Pier thirty nine. Pier yeah. thirty nine. How did you? How did you? How did you get that residency? Um, well, I'm not the only guy. There's a street performing program there that's been around since the pier opened. Um, they just celebrated their fortieth birthday, um, and I I got in very luckily because they don't like. There's only so many spots and there's only so many performers. They don't like new people coming in because that means everyone else has to give up more spots a month. Um, but luckily two, two fantastic performers, Dan Holdsman, who also wrote a great perform, uh, who also has a great book out called, uh, I think a thousand and one tips on performing for like jugglers and, and variety artists, which is a great book. Um, and then also, uh, Thomas John were both leaving the pier the month I asked, Hey, can I get on? Oh, wow. um, actually Scott Meltzer was the, uh, this, this, this is what happened. Scott Meltzer was a, one of the judges in that comedy competition okay or not the, the magic competition rather yeah, that yeah. that i won so uh so and he it was funny because you <laughs> awesome. they, we got all uh if you know scott Meltzer, this will make a lot of sense you they give you feedback forms of like okay costume four you know originality five you know magic whatever and then there's notes at the bottom like oh yeah well job really liked it blah 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 you get scott Meltzer's one and the whole bottom is just filled with joke ideas not only that but the back as well is just covered with just because he that's he just does this he's just wow. constantly like oh you should do this this would be funny and this thing oh like and it was all these notes so I reached out to him um, and again I had a street performer background and just was like hey I know you run he runs the Pier Thirty Nine program uh, I was wondering if I if you have some free spots I could do it and he's like well we never do have free spots but just come to the next meeting so I go to the next meeting and then he's just like all right pick a spot. And I was like, all right. And I was just got thrown in and, uh, really, really early. And also at the beginning of summer, normally they make people, uh, work the cold winters before they get reward them with the summer spots. But I was very, very fortunate, um, wow. for it to get on there. Man. That's awesome. Well, congrats on that too. Thanks. Now, how does that work though? So if you have that, do they know that, okay, when you have like a, a larger booking, you're going to not be there? You have At the pier, a, well, it's it's a scheduled thing. So I do about uh, when before this happened, I think I'd get about seven days 
a month. Um, usually, I usually would clump them together because, um, again, I'm trying new material, so I want to be able to right. uh, to go. And usually, it's about two to five shows a day. Depend. There's four slots. It's very complicated and silly. Um, and uh, and so I'll I'll usually clump together a, a string of days so that I can work on a new piece, and it will completely transform. I also like the book talks mostly about um, writing lines, um, but I, I talk, the third part, we're really talking about like creating new material. When I create material, I do it in very, very small chunks. So if I'm going to do like a, a rising card routine that I know eventually is going to have three cards rise in this finale, the first time I'm going to do it, I'm just going to make one card rise and just see how that feels, right? And so I'll go out one day one, do that. I'll have like four jokes for it. All right, cool write those in between the show, maybe do some more things that night, come back the next day. Okay, cool. Here's another joke I wrote, change it on this. And then I'm adding the second phase. And so I'll do that over the string of a couple of days. Um, and then it'll, it'll completely transform and get good. And this is what you need. You need this type of iteration for some people. It's the castle walk around open mics. If you can do it frequently. Um, I know um, here in the, in the Bay Area, there's a thing called the Magic Garage, which uh, is run by, run by a fantastic guy who converted his um, his garage into a theater, and he throws shows um, every, every not every Friday, but he has people over every Friday. Not anymore, obviously, but uh, he he would have people over just to jam magicians. And uh, and That's my awesome. David Gerard like built his first show just doing that. He, he's like, I don't have anywhere else to perform because he just moved to the the West Coast. But he would do um, you know ten minutes every week and then at the end of a couple months he had you know an hour of really good material wow you just gotta iterate you just gotta find somewhere that has uh the opportunity for you to perform yeah and and make it if you can team up with other performers and and do don't try to make any money just you know if it's new stuff um that's uh, that that's a big thing sarah is like you, you know don't don't risk bad, you know, you can't really be bad for paid shows and don't charge tickets. If it's going to be bad, do it, you know, uh, make sure that it, you're, you're still offering quality and not exactly. wasting people's time. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You got my mind running on some places locally that I could start doing something like that. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, it's about being creative too. Um, in, in how you, you iterate for like, before this happened, um, I was I wanted to add uh, a new thing to my theater show uh, that would use an amaze box. Yep. But I didn't. I wanted to do that. But when I came time to run what would eventually be forced out of the amaze box at the pier, which I'm not going to have people do all this stuff, right? I just used a Sven pad, so I changed the method entirely just to be able to run this one trick, right. knowing yep. that the method was going to be different later on. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I in the book I talk about. Uh, I do a ring to gumball machine, and before I did ring to gumball, I actually did a different trick, ju- using the gumball capsule just to practice. Um, the secret load of the ring into the gumball capsule on stage. Oh, I mean, very cool. I just did that because it's the the lower the less things that you have to worry about each show. You know, I don't have this giant gumball machine that everyone's like, "Well, that going to be," and then that have that trick suck. Yeah, I don't want that to happen. It. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't want that. You know, so I would just do. Um, you know, I did a version of Jonathan Lovick's uh, "That's Not My Ring" or "That's My Ring." And I just used that with a gumball capsule. Great trick. Loved it. And eventually ditched it. And once I was like, as soon as I got really good, I was like, all right, cool. Now. And then we added the gumball in. Oh man. That's, that's my so crazy almost, process. 
that that's a great process. It's it's really opening my mind up uh, of like how to approach that because you know for the longest time, and I'm sure a lot of magicians are like this, is where you know you're creating your your stage, your theater act, and you know you you have to you you think you have to rehearse at the same place, like at a theater, at a space that is uh, you know the right size and whatnot. But in reality you can just create a smaller version and go on the streets even mm-hmm. and not combine everything until till the end right like yeah. do do things uh, i did a my finale of my stage show right now is is a it's a bunch of things together my my stuff gets really there's a it's kind of crazy that's why like if i write another one another book it'll be about like creating crazy material using stuff that's out there like i don't innovate i don't create my own methods or anything like or plots necessarily, but I'm, I'm pretty good at like taking different things and putting them together in like a weird way that makes everything make sense. And right. I use a lot of weird gimmicks that like nobody else uses, but they <laughs> found their ways into my show and people are like, what is that? Is that a sharp, this gimmick? Yes, that is. Yes, that is. <laughs> yes, it is in my tri- show. Um, where was I going to go with that? Um, yeah, the, um, the finale is like a rising card routine with a, um, a floating table and it has like this prediction element and even more stuff that goes into it. And I would do, depending upon where I was performing and what I wanted to work on and also how windy it was that day, that trick would dramatically, I did it outside at Santa Cruz beach boardwalk for a whole summer. And that's how it got good was in at first, just the card rising cards, then three. And then when it, so then when the three card phase became good and I wanted to add the floating table in, I took out the other phases. So now I'm just doing one moment and then I would add back out there. So I'm always just like, I think of it as like, uncharted waters of I'm going doing something I've never done on stage before, which I don't like to, I, I always want to know what I'm doing. Like I like preparation, so I will limit. So I do not have to stress about doing things in weird order. Like if I was going to do linking rings routine now, even if I'm like, I know this is going to be seven phases and I know the seven phases or I have a good idea of that. I would just, the first time I just do one link and be like, Hey, that was that. And then the next day I do a different phase and see how that link compared to the other one. Mm. and that's that's what i would do and and then eventually i'd be like all right cool these phases work together i think and then i'd string slowly string them together till it was a full routine and then i'd move it around in my show depending upon how 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 good it was and how complete it was at the at the time right so how do you how are you maybe that's the wrong question when you are are gauging audience reception because every audience is of course different how quick are you to change something if it didn't exactly hit? Ooh, good, good question. Um, I, I try to hold myself to a three strikes policy. Of okay. You give a particular joke or line or idea three strikes. And if you can't get it working um, with some massaging in there too of like, okay, I'm going to kind of tweak this or, or whatnot. If you can't get it working after three strikes, I generally... Uh, if I really care about the idea, then I'll go back to the drawing board, try to make it work. But more, more than usual, I just chuck it and move on to the next thing. Um, and you, you gotta be really comfortable with, with just, just that's not working, you know, like, um, I really try to let the audience guide me in, in their responses and stuff. And Mm -hmm. and the the last, the, the last part of the book is all about like, you know, I write two jokes. I'm constantly writing for like, 
everything in that the first is like a joke to build upon what's working. So like, okay, cool. That joke is working. Let's try to add another joke to make it into a larger bit, right? Or that moment of magic's working. How can we make it even better? And then the other one is like, what isn't working? Um, how do we fix it? which is often like downtime or, um, Oh, you know, I, I don't have a line for this moment. Right. Listening back to your show is so important to you because you'll also realize, um, moments like I'm sure you've had this moment on stage where like you're talking and you get to a beat and you're like, man, I wish I, I don't like this moment. Like I feel so bad. Right. But you go yeah. past it and then you, you, you make it through cause nothing happens. Right. But if you watch your show again, you're reminded of that while you're at home and you're like, ah, you know what? I'm going to sit down and write something for that right now. Um, that I think that's important just for not only like identifying what you can replace, but op- identifying the, the opportunities to write new stuff. Right. Exactly. And remember things that you ad lipped, you know, all those, yeah. all those things. If you, a lot of performers record their shows, uh, not many listen to them. Right. Cause it's, it's hard to, because sometimes, and I think what it is, is like deep down, you know that it needs to be refined more. Mm-hmm. And then by watching it, you're going to go through the pain of knowing that you should change it. Yeah. And it's easier to just go with what you've been doing than yeah. to, you know, feel that. But that's like such a strong feeling. Like when you feel that, you know, that's yourself telling you yourself yeah. that you got to change or rewrite something. I, I totally, I can completely relate to that idea of like, Oh, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed with like all these little things that I don't like about watching myself on camera. This gives you the book or being able to focus on very specific things, give you like, all right, I don't care that my, I'm still not happy with my posture or how I pronounce that word or whatever. I'm just going to work, focus on this one stock line and getting rid of it. Right. And so that's, you, it, you can oh, watch it, makes it smaller. Yeah. Like, so it's zoom not in. So, yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be like, Oh my God, I'm going to change like my it. entire show. The way you change your show is you change it line by line, piece by piece. Right now, what I'm trying to do in my show is like, I'm very aggressive. I used to be very aggressive. I still am in a lot of ways, but I'm trying to sand those corners down. Um, I had a lot of talk about this before. Um, before, before, uh, you know, the event industry got canceled of like, how can I maintain the kind of like, Oh, this guy's kind of edgy and going without actually having any like sharp things to point at. So for example, like there's a joke in my show where I'm like, here, thief, come here. And, uh, and we identified that that's a little too harsh. It's me calling somebody a thief. But so I rewrote, and it's actually another line that I've written that I had previously of like, of making that moment a little bit softer. So that's what I'm going through in my show right now is like, how can I mature my show and make it a little bit smoother? Mm. Um, and it's just those little moments. And then by the time you're done, you, you've, you've hopefully gotten rid of it out of your entire thing and you just start recognizing that stuff more. Right. Oh man. It, it's such a great, a great way to look at everything. Cause it, it I can, I can't wait to start implementing this and like, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm yeah. going to be buying this book immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it's also very cheap. Like the ebook is like ten bucks. It's like nine ninety nine, and then what? That, yeah, it's um, oh, wow. it's all through Amazon. So it's it's okay. it's very affordable. And like, I'm 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 aware that like nobody knows who I am in in the magic world, right? Like I'm very underground. I work in the Bay Area. I do trade shows all over the place. But like, you know, I don't right, have a you're worker. You're a I'm worker. A, oh, yeah. And then um, you know, that's I think something that magicians need to learn more from is workers because like a lot it's it's almost as if uh you know if you're a creator then you're 
your famous magicians mm-hmm. and you have to learn from them, but not every creator is a worker. Yeah. Not every worker is a creator. So like, I feel like you need a balance of both. Yeah. I mean, and it's very much like, like I don't, I don't really create my own tricks necessarily. And I don't think you need to. Um, I think you should use the best tricks you can, but you should use them to communicate your own thing. Right. Right. Like the lines that you're saying, the stories that you're telling, the ideas that you're expressing should be things that are unique to you and, and you that you genuinely care about. Because anyone can do this, right? Like anyone can sit down and write 10 stories that are in your life that are interesting and then pick the most interesting one and find a spot in your show for that, right? Anyone can sit down and write 10 funny ways of handing a Sharpie to somebody. Anyone, you you know, one of those woes be funny and you can, we can all brute force this type of stuff out. You just have to take the moment to do it. And it's mm-hmm. very simple, but it's very easy and, and it gets better each time you do it. It gets easier too. You Since this happened, I've been writing it. more. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Oh, you know, as soon as I got your email, mm-hmm. I knew, I knew that I had to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. Because you went through the, you know, you gave me a lot of information in that email and like it definitely spoke to me when I got it and I just something told me that this is the right the right thing to do and oh man I'm so happy I did because yeah. I've learned so much already so thank you for that like uh, my mind is just blown by how much information you've shared with us so far it's it's crazy dude happy to it's, I just want to you know let's 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 help each other right I think exactly. um I think get ideas out there, help each other and, and be concrete. Like I wanted the book to not be a lot of fluff of, you know, you know, just what I was like, I wanted to have a process and like really base things and like practical stuff of like, here's a thing, right. Instead mm-hmm. of just like, Oh, be more natural on stage. It's like, that doesn't really help. You know, like there's, Go ahead. So how, how do people buy your book? You said Amazon, they just type in either Ryan Kane or out of stock. Yeah. If you type in out of stock, Ryan Kane, and that's Kane K A N E. And my name is Ryan, not yeah. Brian. I'm saving up for the B. Um, but Daryl, um, yeah. So if you type that in there, it's available on ebook, the Kindle, and it's on paperback as well. Um, you can also go to ryankanemagic.com slash the hyphen book. Um, and that's a whole page that's there. Nice. Um, so that'll show, and I'm sure you can probably put that in the, the yeah. links in the, the show notes as well. For sure. Mm-hmm. I definitely will do that. And, uh, yeah, before, man, before we jump into anything else, let's, let's go through some of your other ways that people can connect with you. Like uh, what, what's your preferred methods? Is it Instagram? Is it just your website? Or? Probably most. In, yeah. I'm probably most, um, most, uh, active on Instagram. Um, I'm at Ryan Kane magic on Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. I think that's my, my YouTube as well, but I don't really post that much on YouTube. Um, so yeah, at Ryan Kane magic, R Y A N K A N E magic. If you can't spell magic, why are you listening to this? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right, man. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I have some questions that I ask every guest. Okay. And, uh, we'll, we'll start with, uh, what is your definition of magic? Ooh. I think my definition of magic is trying to get people to that point where they go, this can't be real, but they still believe it. Um, I, the, I, I think of, um, 
I think of the example I use a lot are horoscopes where I know that horoscopes don't work and they're complete. I, I understand the mechanics of exactly why they work, but every once in a while, uh, I'll, it'll pop up and I'll read my horoscope for whatever reason. And it's like really perfect to the day. And I get that little moment of like, Oh my God, maybe this is true. And then I'm like, no, of course it's not. That's the moment, right? That if the horoscope of that's that bad can get you that moment, that's what we should be doing with our effort, with all of our magic. So that's what I'm always kind of getting for of like, I think the horoscope is like the base when it matches up is like that base moment of astonishment that I'm, right. I'm always trying to like build up from there. Beautiful. I love it. <laughs> so we all know that like magic's not real, but like it can, it can live in the mind of the spectator and whatnot. And I think your, your definition of that, of magic really ties into that, that whole frame of thinking. Um, what's your favorite magic moment from your life or career so far? And it doesn't have to actually be like a magic trick. It could just be, mm-hmm. you know, it could be anything. The first thing that comes to mind is actually watching, um, Lance Burton, um, do hospitality. The, um, the, uh, any drink called for, which was on one of okay. his old specials. And I rewatched really? that on VH. I recorded off TV and rewatched that, um, over and over it's to the point that it ruined it just trying to figure out how that trick worked <laughs> that that mo that trick is still so good my buddy andrew evans does a fantastic version of it here at the part of the magic patio um it's really good um and steve that, cohen i believe does something similar with a teapot yeah he, yeah he does the teapot which i've never seen him but i see it in all the pictures I've, i'm obsessed with that plot it's so good and it was interesting because i i eventually my senior year of high school i was really big into theater in high school i did my i you need like 300 something like credits to graduate in california and i think i had like 112 just in theater like oh. it was insane <laughs> they changed rules for me to like get it was it's, it's insane but uh my senior year like i did an illusion show and actually built i built my own hospitality i bought the instructions off jim oh. steinmeier and built it and Damn. i had it for a while and then it was really bad because it's like you know i, I can do a little bit with with wood and things like that but it's yeah since been checked to a dumpster in San Francisco somewhere. Um, you know, I, and then I, from my, that got me thinking, go sorry, it's, it just got me thinking of like these virtual shows people are doing. I feel like doing an any drink plot would be so easy on a virtual show. It would, but you also lose the, the ability to have people taste it. Um, right. But you could have the label. On yeah. The, yeah. That's a good point. I mean, there's so much maybe, to think like about that, you know? with virtual things of like, you, you can have a million things around you, right? Like you could have, I was, my buddy was just talking about, um, he, he did a thing where he drew a, a, a playing card, um, like an ace of clubs or something for a, a trick on like a blank card. So he had a blank card, he drew the ace of clubs. And I was like, you know, it, the trick used a, having a, a duplicate. Uh, I was like, you could have someone shout out any card and then draw it and then you around you you can just have every deck so you could get a duplicate and do whatever like <laughs> yeah. why not you know like exactly. those are the things they don't that see it. they can't see in this stuff um you, you know so it's yeah there's a too lo- easy it is but it is i don't know man like yeah there there's i think we got to adapt i think we want to we can't we can't all be doing invisible deck on camera for no, the next yeah, 2 years we're going to have to do other things I say that because I literally did that the other day. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's like, I think there's a reason why that everyone's using that as a like debut. Like I'm using that to because it, 
you know, and I have a different thing I use with the invisible deck, but still like it's, it's, it's a good trick. It's a good trick. Man, I know like it's, and it's funny, like sometimes I think we get away from the idea of like a simple magic trick and we try to go to something more complex mm-hmm. when like, man, not everybody's seen the invisible deck. Like, that's still a great, great card trick. Yeah. It's just every once in a while, there's a lay person that somehow knows how it works and it kind of feels bad. And I think that's when you're like, okay, I'm never doing it again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I have, I, I tend to try to get a little bit too complicated with my magic sometimes. And yeah, and, and, and sometimes my friends will tell me that and I'm like, no, I'll make it work. And then I do it a little bit and realize like, actually that's, it's better to simplify it back down. <laughs> there is, you know, listen to your audience, listen to see what, what people respond to and, and do that. So what's been your largest, largest challenge so far in your career and how did you overcome it? Wow. Um, that's a tough one. It might be getting more comfortable with like selling myself. Um, like I'm not, I'm not a great salesperson. Um, I, I like performing and I like working with people, but like the business aspect and all that stuff and, and sticking to those types of things are always really hard. Um, and, and it just comes down to like holding myself accountable and trying to put systems in, uh, for like for a long time, I'd like write out like my entire agenda for the day and do stuff. This is before like a lot of the, uh, the task management stuff apps came out and things like right. that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that part of, of when, when your passion is also your job of trying to stay focused, um, uh, things like that. And it's good to get other hobbies. Like I cook a lot. So that's like, okay, that's my creative thing. And I can start really treating magic as, um, as a job and, and doing that. Right. That's what a great hobby to have. I, I am my girlfriend's worst, very happy considering, uh, considering we're all locked in together. So it's oh, like, yeah. well, she still oh. eats all right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Re- the restaurant life at home. Yep. That, that's exactly. great, man. So man, I, I feel like we could probably go on for, for hours and hours. So I feel like if you're down, we'll probably do a part two one day. Yeah, of course. And, and um, have you back on and yeah. Yeah, we can talk about um we can talk about whatever. Um we can talk more about material or or we can move on to other parts of the book too and um you know talking about like how do you respond to people and because I think magicians really like jokes as comebacks but they're not always the best thing. Yeah. Um so to be able to really break down of of it, it, yeah, there's there's a lot. I've I've I have opinions. <laughs> yeah. I'd love so. to hear them. I'd love to hear them. So I'm going to I'm going to wrap this up with my favorite question which it kind of changes every time. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to mold my 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 perfect question. I don't hey know. Hey man, make it better. I don't know. Make it better. This we'll is exactly see. what this is about. Oh, make it better go. each time, you know? <laughs> okay. So put yourself in like the future. So maybe it's like 5 days, maybe it's 5 years, whatever. Mm-hmm. It, you're in the future and an evil magician targets you. He targets Ryan Kane and he erases you from the minds of everybody that has ever met you. Okay. It's like this terrible spell. So you now, you know, somewhere in your heart, you know how to reverse it. And that's essentially by being the most Ryan Kane you can possibly be. What do you do to reverse the spell? What do I do? What's to do the most Ryan Kane thing? Yeah. 
to reverse the spell. Oh, geez. Um, geez, it's probably... I don't know, man. That's a tough one. It was the most Ryan Caney. That probably stomped my foot. My buddy okay. makes fun of me for that. Of whenever I'm on stage, and I'm actually it's another thing I'm trying to cut out of my show. Like I will like <laughs> stomp my foot to get it. It's a street performer thing of like doing that type of thing. But he plays a drinking game in my show where uh, every time <laughs> Ryan Kane stomps his foot to like act, you know accent a point, uh, you know that's where you <laughs> you have to drink. Okay. It's funny though because we watched another performer uh, like a really bad magician i don't think it's magician or something else and he did that all the time and we hated it and i was like i need to stop doing that (laughs) it's effective though like it's you know if you're on street shows or stages or wherever that echoes like you can get um you know i like gathering crowds and focusing in on me and yeah that's very effective have you ever seen a hypnosis show at like a busking place like a place where you busk (laughs) I've never, not a busking thing. Um, I mean, I've seen hypnosis shows. Um, no, I think it, I think it'd be really hard to get the, the time. You know what else I think it is, um, is in, in street, like magicians don't make as much money as jugglers because it's always perceived as a trick and acrobats make the most because people go, I know I can't do that. But no matter what your magic trick is, no matter how good it is, people go like, ah, eh, that's just a trick. I don't know how it's done, but I, maybe if I did, I could do that. Mm-hmm. I think hypnosis, people don't know, you know, how many people are going to look at that and be like, oh, they're all in on it and not pay and walk off, right? Like, I think you need a lot more of a, uh, of a really, I'm not saying like hypnotists aren't skilled. I'm not saying that, but mm-hmm. I'm saying like, it doesn't, it doesn't read, like magicians barely make it into that category of like, I can pay, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. of getting that. And I don't know if hypnosis would, would translate to the street like that people are always looking for reasons not to pay or reasons to walk away. Like you've got into an induction. Can you do that? Like on a street corner? Right. Well, I mean, in theory, I mm-hmm. feel like it's possible, but like, I've just, I personally have never seen it and I don't, I don't think I'm the guy to do it. I'm not saying that, but like, yeah, it's just a question yeah. I've had for a while. And maybe I, I think, I think some good power of suggestion stuff could work, right? Like those, those really quick induction things that might be able to work. Um, yeah, because if you didn't hypnotize your first person, that show's over. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's just over and I think and you lose everybody. It's hard enough to gather a crowd, and then you want to take half your crowd and put them on stage. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, that'd be interesting. You know what? Uh, my then buddy, their links, friends can't leave if their friends up there. That their is a good point. Leave. That is a good point. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that is something a, someone out there should try one day. That is a that know. is a solid point. Um, and then you just tell everybody to pay, just hypnotize yeah, right. them all, right. or just or hold them hostage. I will release them if we get a hundred dollars. You know, like <laughs> you do the the, the doc <laughs> the, the hostage. <laughs> yeah, the doc Easton thing of like we'll do the trick if we get a hundred dollar bill. It's like I'll really okay, cool. We get you're free. All right, now two hundred dollars <laughs> for this man. Have you ever used a whip to to get? No, I'm, I'm very, I can't juggle. I don't do any of the other variety stuff. I'm very strict magic. Like, and again, when I was, when I really used to street perform, I would do like a 13 minute show, which was very gazo. I would do like uh, coin stuff. Um, I did like a, a professor's nightmare, sensational rope thing. And then I did cups and balls. Uh, when my street show was probably its best, meaning like it, it really was like a tight thing that was designed to be, to get as big and to make as much money and to act as a street show. 
I think I was doing, I think it was tossed out deck, uh, the same rope routine. Um, I still had cups and balls in there and then I did my paintball bullet catch. Um, oh, and I, nice. and that was about 35. And then eventually I, I actually threw my cups away cause I, I, I was so, I just, they felt so standard and I felt like I was not the right person. I didn't feel myself doing them. So I threw my cups. I don't do cups and balls anymore. I threw them away. Um, and I just got the rope routine out of my show, which is great. Cause my dad hates that trick, <laughs> but I finally phased that out where it is no longer in my show. Um, well, congrats on that, uh, man. Get rid of, <laughs> get rid of certain things and, and replace them with, with, with paintballs and stuff like that. <laughs> Is it a, a signed paintball? Yeah. So it's, I use velocity. I think it's 2.0 by, uh, by, by, um, I'm not familiar. No, it's, uh, um, it's Scott Alexander's, uh, paintball. He, it's a marketed item and oh, okay. I gutted okay. everything out of it. I don't use anything. Like, I think the routines normally, a couple of minutes long and my full routine from beginning to end is like 14 minutes. If you count the nice. selection process earlier on, it also has other stuff going in. Like my stuff intertwines where tricks happen in the middle of things and there's callbacks yeah. and stuff. So there's that's more amazing, than man. just bullet kiss that happens, but that's awesome. That's Thanks. something that, uh, the callback side of things is something that I'm currently really focused on adding. And, you can use this method. Know, um, yeah. I mean, go and pick, like pick, pick, go through your, listen to your act. And like, I'd write down every joke or motif or anything that you think has callback potential and just identify them. Um, a lot of these will emerge naturally. For example, in my, um, my paintball routine, I have a rubber glove that I have the person or not a, yeah, a latex glove that I have them put on. Uh, and the idea they do it mostly to, so that when they can eventually take it out of my mouth, with their own hand, right? Without having to touch it. Um, but it's played as a joke um, earlier on in the routine, right? When I, when they first got up on stage, I give them the rubber glove, but I also use it in the, my tossed out deck, which happens about 30 minutes earlier uh, where when I have all six people up on stage, I stand up stage and I say like face forward, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, don't turn around. And then I take up the rubber glove and just snap it as a joke and it gets a big laugh. And so that's actually a, a foreshadowing of a thing there. And then when I eventually they, the, the, the paintball goes into their hand, I can call back as like, I foreshadowed that 30 minutes ago, you know? So looking for objects that can be utilized in other spaces too, um, bottles and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's surprising. Like, it's not that hard. You just have to take the moment to sit down and do it. And I don't think I don't do it as much as I probably should. I think um, something that can help. Um, cause I know one of the drawbacks maybe is like, you're going to have to sit there and write down all these lines. But if you sent uh, a, a clip, not a clip of, of the video of your entire show over to somebody on that, uh, what's that called when they, like a transcription software yeah i feel like maybe you do that someone else can write it out for you if you're if you're that lazy <laughs> yeah i mean it's i'm not i that's one way i mean if you have a lot of stock lines that may, may be the faster way i think i think going through and listening and because you're not writing down every line in your show you're writing down only the stock ones oh, right so yeah, I, um, I totally yeah pass no. by that part right 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 but I think Just, having a transcription is also a good exercise to do. And I've transcribed stuff in my show before and it, it does take a while. Um, and there are people that you can pay to do that. Um, yeah. Um, and I know there's, there's software that does it now too, automatically. I was just listening to someone who was talking about, they have a recorder app that, that transcribes as you talk. I think my recorder app does it too, but it's not very good. 
Yeah, I haven't seen a good one yet. Mm-hmm. I, I like to use YouTube, the the built-in YouTube one, but like every ten seconds you got to change it. So it's yeah, yeah. I don't I'd, know. Um, if I was faster at typing, it, I'd just type it. Yeah, I think um, I think it's good to recognize and start saying like the phrase, like sitting down to write your show and write it out on a script is also a good way to identify spots where, um, where you can, there's more room for improvement and you need to write down like exactly the interaction with the audience member and script it down to see how boring it is to be like, Hey, pick a card. Are they shuffled? Yes. Okay, cool. Do like, then you're like, wow, this is really boring. Um, but you have to be, you have to be really honest with yourself that this is what you're doing. Um, and that's why in the book I say, don't, don't sit down and write your show from memory, watch your show to see what you're actually doing on stage. Um, and if, if absolutely nothing happens, stick a record. If you don't have any video rather, um, you stick a recorder in the corner, set up your props, do your show as if you were doing a show and then use that. Um, but I, I still don't think that's as, that's nearly as good as, as just watching a, a live video. Right. Cause then yeah, actually have the interaction which is hard to imitate. I think the interaction and the nerves, I think, uh, Uh, for example, I uh, use the line, um, in walk around, I would use the line, um, uh, check your wallet. Good. Now I know where it is. I used, I would use that line if I was really nervous with the group. So if I felt like the magic didn't really connect or whatnot, or something like something went, was kind of weird. I would use that as a reliable exit. And, uh, and I think that that happens a lot of time where, where people say lines because they're nervous and they just want to laugh or they want something safe that they can jump to. And if you're just running through your show in your living room, you're not going to be nervous. So you're not going to do that. And uh, you won't, you won't identify those contexts and therefore you won't be able to replace them and prepare yourself for the future. So how would you record yourself if you're doing like a walk around? Do you just do audio then? Mm, I didn't even think about that. Um, so I, I, I use an app called the, uh, just press record app for the Apple watch. It's five bucks, but it is the best app I've ever bought. Um, and, uh, and I put the record button on my home screen so I can just press record and it records everything. Um, okay. it, that's really good. Um, I've never recorded walk around, just press um, record, just press record. Um, yeah. And I'm not tied to them or anything like that. They're just, uh, it's just a good, good little app. Um, and yeah, I've done that at, uh, at, at, at Santa Cruz boardwalk with like really noisy drop tower rides right next to me. And I can still record my entire show. Um, it's really quite astonishing how well it works. Um, yeah, I would probably use that for walk around and just click it. Um, as you walk up to the, to a group, cause I think the audio is almost the, the video is important to know if the tricks are looking okay. But I also think you kind of want to get that in you should do that before it puts on stage. And from then on, it becomes more about audio. I will film normally when I film tricks, even when I'm first starting them out, I aim the cameras, the GoPros at the audience. Mm. um, So I can see their reactions. Cause if the trick isn't working, like if I'm flashing, you'll be able to see that in the audience reactions anyways. And so you, you know, you you won't see if you you can name it yourself. Oh, you flash. But like also those kids over there, like laughing, or like pointing while I'm doing a move that's telling me I'm flashing that side too. And then I can also see, okay, these are the exact moments that they're laughing and when they're reacting or gasping and in street shows, I can see when people walk away. Um, so I was like, okay, they're not, this is boring. This is a weak yeah. point. A lot of street show stuff is like tightening up transitions. Um, so that nobody walks away. That's, Oh man, 
it's something like I, I've done a lot of work as a as a video guy, and mm. audio is such an important aspect of video that no one thinks about. And basically, the words you say is the audio of a full show of a live show. Like I don't. It, it seems like something so simple that was just there the whole time that I just now made that connection. Yeah. And now I feel like, I feel like I fully understand it now. And that, that, that brings up a great point too, of your, what you're saying is like, how interesting is what you're just saying without the, the video, the visual component. Um, you'll notice a lot of things there. There's a great, great Twitter a handle called magic transcribed, which is very much about, and what they do is they post videos and then they transcribe like short little clips of magicians. And then they transcribe exactly what they're saying. And it is always, it's very atrocious, like cringe worthy. Like that doesn't make any sense. This guy's saying ums every other word. Right. And it's, it's really kind of like a shame thing, oh, no. and, but it's like, make, you know, you, make your act never show up on that, you know, exactly. And, and it it also comes down to like, I forget the quote, uh, the idea of, um, quotation, not quote. I hate people do that. It's a quotation. You quote someone, it is a quotation that you are. That is the, that is the, the text, um, of, you know, how interesting is your show just when someone's listening to it? Because sometimes that will happen, right? If you're doing a banquet show, someone in the back may just be looking at their plate. And also that's the other thing is if they can piece together what's happening on stage based on listening to you, why would they look up, right? If you're just saying, okay, pick a card. Okay, cool. Put it back. Great. Right. Awesome. I'm going to shuffle. And now them. I'm going to put it in my pocket. Now yeah, I'm going to do this. It's, I can look at my yeah. phone and, and zone and look at something more interesting and, and still be able to jump up and know what's going on. So where can you replace those things with things that are visual to tie people back in silence? One of my favorite parts when I did used to do cups and balls was silencing like dive bars at a certain part where it was for the final hat load where I'd be like, look, and it's a stock bit that I was doing of like, look, the balls, look, the ball's going to disappear. You put it underneath the hat. And then I would snap. I was like, it's gone. It's back. And I would play that up and I would sigh. I would just, that's how I judged my show at that point is like, how quiet can I get everyone to be for this moment? And like, that can be very powerful to reel people back in of just shutting up for a while, especially when you're someone like me who talks a lot on stage of, of just like, look, you know, and really tying people in that can be really, really fun and and exciting. Wow. So much great information. Thank you so much, man, for sharing all of this. Like, thanks for having me, man. Yeah. I I had a blast. I hope everybody, you know, took some notes throughout this episode and definitely go check out Ryan Kane's book out of stock. I'm going to be buying that right now. Out of stock, a magician's guide to writing your own lines by Ryan Kane. Specifically made for magicians. I love it, man. And my buddy was talking about about how she do a whole series of it. So uh, out of stock, uh, a a hypnotist guide to writing your own lines. And I was like, I should do one for mimes, a mimes line for a a mimes guide. I think think it works everywhere. Like this is written with the mindset of a magician because I am a magician. So all the examples come from magic shows, but I've had juggler friends read it and get a lot. I had a friend who works in the service industry as a bartender. Be like, you know what? I got a lot out of this. He's just a good friend and bought the book. Doesn't do any magic. And he's like, there's some good stuff here just for like how to interact with people and not, and think about what you're saying and what you're conveying and stuff. He's like, realtors should 
read this book. So they stopped, they steal each other's lines too, apparently. No idea wow. about that, but. Wow. Yes. All right, man. I love it. Okay. I'm going to go buy this book. Everybody go check out Ryan Kane. Thank you, man. I had such Thank a you. good time. Me too. And we'll have you on again real soon. And Sounds great. Learn a lot more from you. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. And there you have it, everybody. That was Ryan Kane, the author of Out of Stock. Wow, man. This guy, he you can tell that he's put a lot of hours into his craft. He has a lot of excellent information. I'm going to have to go through this episode multiple times to fully digest it in my own brain. And dude, okay, I'm buying his book right now. First and foremost, I'm going to put into play the, the teachings of it. Um, but before the book arrives, I'm already going to start rewriting a lot of my show because I've been doing some virtual shows and you know what may as well make the virtual shows the best they can be right now because who knows how long we're gonna have to do those for and who knows if maybe that virtual show turns into the show that you're gonna have to offer later as a no contact type of type of deal type of show all right anyways thanks for tuning in guys i hope you guys learned some stuff my name's hadlin this is the magician's code and we'll see you on the next next episode, next post. I don't know. We'll see you soon. Peace.